This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place the Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Good morning to you. Welcome in to the Action Line from WGNS on this Tuesday, the 8th day of September. In our first segment, we're going to get an update on COVID-19 here in Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, and all over to just a general overview of everything. Dr. Thomas Helton is with us this morning. Dr. Helton, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing today? Doing great. Good to have you with us today. And you are a family practice physician, and your uh, office is at 1034 North Highland Avenue. Uh, good to have you here with us today. Well, I'm glad, glad to be able to join you. Have you had many patients who have had COVID-19? Uh, yes, we've had quite a few in the practice since it obviously started back in March. Um I've also am a uh, the medical director for a nursing facility here in town that unfortunately had a quite a large outbreak of COVID back in the spring as well. So I've seen quite a bit of uh, COVID nineteen both in the office and in the hospital setting uh, since the springtime. What do you think is the best way to reduce the spread of COVID nineteen? I believe that you know wearing a mask is very important and obviously social distancing when you're not able to wear a mask is also quite important as well and good personal hygiene obviously wash your hands you know just what what, what our surgeon general and and the people in that in Washington have been talking about I think it's still the best way to prevent COVID at this point but I think that the you know since we introduced the wearing of the mask in public has made a big impact or at least starting to see some impact from that being utilized here in the last few months. It's difficult to stay inside. Uh, people are getting tired of staying inside. And just as we were hoping for things to improve, we look to Europe. And I understand that in Europe, which things were doing much better over there, uh, it's taken a, an opposite turn and had some uh, pretty big breakouts of COVID-19 once again. Uh, do you feel that, that that's a sign of what's going to happen here as the, as the fall and winter approach? Well, if you look at how the seasonal flu works, obviously we have our biggest outbreaks in the wintertime when people are more in close quarters. And I think as the weather turns colder again, we'll probably have another another situation like that here in the United States. You know, I think obviously our best hope is for a vaccine to be brought forth in the next few months to hopefully uh, significantly reduce the, the spread. But I think we are going to see more outbreaks throughout the fall and winter time, which is just unfortunately how this virus seems to be working and just seems to like uh, like to spread very rapidly in, in, in closed environments. And so if we can, you know, obviously if you're in a closed environment when you're wearing a mask is your best defense. But uh, otherwise, just try to stay out of those closed, tight environments as much as possible. 
With so many people uh, being concerned also with the flu season, and we're starting to hear a few encouragements to get those flu shots, uh, do you feel that we'll have a, a, a serious flu season this year? And uh, give us sort of a correlation between the flu and COVID-19. Is there any similarity? Well, obviously there is. I mean, there's the respiratory component of the flu, and there's also some GI components of the flu that you see with COVID-19. Um, I think, obviously, that you know, obviously both very communicable diseases that spread very easily from person to person. So I think that the more we can, more we can get people, you know, immunized for the flu this year, the better we'll be as, an, as a country in regard to the flu. I mean, we don't know how it's going to look, you know, this year as compared to other years as far as the flu itself. I think that, I think that social distancing and wearing masks will help prevent the flu, obviously, as well, too. So hopefully we'll have a, a less than normal year for the flu since we're doing all these things to try to fight off COVID-19. It'll also help prevent the flu as well. But, you know, obviously our best defense is still vaccination and widespread, uh, you know, immunization of, of, our, of our country. One of the things that uh, we had done in the past was a special flu shot for senior citizens. And since uh, COVID-19 has a dramatic impact on senior citizens as well, should we get that uh, flu shot, the senior citizens flu shot early? I mean, is now the time or should we wait till later to get that? You know, I think we, as we said, we've been researching, I'm, I've, I just, you lost, you dropped out. Try again. I, I can't hear you. You sound like you suddenly are way away from the telephone. Doctor, can you hear me? Hello, Doctor. Doctor Hilton. Doctor Hilton. Hello, Doctor. Hello, Doctor. Are you still there? Doctor Hilton, are you there? We 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 it sounded like you've faded way away from the telephone. Okay. Okay, that's much better. Yeah, I, I couldn't hear anything that yeah. you said all that last okay. one. Uh, I wondered about that. I didn't hear you either. So, okay, I got you. I'm back. I'm back with you now. Yeah, I, I hear you well. Now you, you just totally one. I could hear a voice way back in the background, <laughs> but I couldn't understand what you were saying. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, uh, if you could go over your last statement again, because we didn't get any of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Uh, I said you know basically I would go ahead and recommend getting the flu shot early this season because I think that if we can. There are cases of flu in the fall, and if we can prevent those early cases from happening, I believe we're going to have a better impact in preventing it overall. And it does seem to last longer than it used to, the shot. We used to be concerned about it not working as well in the springtime for cases in the spring when you got early an early vaccine. But I think with a higher-dose vaccine now that's more potent and more long-term effective, long-term effectiveness is greater as well. So I think it's better to go ahead and do it now while we can. Get the get the flu shot in September and October versus November and December. 
Okay. So get that uh, shot now and uh, yeah. mm -hmm. take advantage of that. All righty. Yeah. Uh, yes, is, it, is it safe to travel now, or should we still avoid that? Uh, I think it's better to avoid it if you can. I think if it's absolutely necessary, you gotta, you got to be really rigorous in your in your in your what you're doing as far as preventing the the spread you know obviously wearing your mask wherever you go in public and trying to avoid eating out as much as possible and try if you go travel you know obviously on airplanes now everyone has to wear a mask so that does help prevent the spread on airplanes but you know going from state to state you just don't know who you're going to be around as much and it's hard to to determine who those people are that might be carriers of the, of the virus so i would I would still try to limit, uh, you know, distant travel as much as possible unless you're going somewhere by car and you know exactly where you're going and who you're going to be with when you get there. Okay. And what about being outside? If if you're doing something outside, uh, even if it's like at a football game uh, or something of that sort, walking, uh, is, is that relatively safe? <clears throat> I think, I think uh, you know, if you're out by your, if you're out in a, by yourself walking, for example, on the greenway. For example, if you're, you know, your best your your best chance of getting COVID is if you come in contact with somebody face to face. And so, if you can try to spread out on the greenway, for example, and try to get it one side or the other side and keep away from the people that are coming toward you, I think your 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 risk of getting COVID is very small there. If you had a football game, for example, you know, you're obviously if you're side by side with other people. That's that's a pretty high chance of getting you know of potentially catching the virus. So I, I would say if you're going to a football game, you know I would try to spread out as much as possible, and I would wear a mask at a football game. I think that's probably your best defense there as well as to wear your mask and try to stay socially distanced as possible. And I think that'll that'll hopefully mitigate the risk of getting the virus in, in a, at a at an outdoor event like that. But there is still a chance of getting the, getting it at an outdoor event is. If that person coughs on you or breathes on you close in close contact, you do have a chance of getting the virus if they do have, if they are carrying themselves. Now we've started seeing people wearing shields, these plastic shields, uh, instead of the masks. Uh, do they both do the same thing? No, I don't think so. I think I think the research has shown that shields are good for protecting you against uh, things getting into your eyes. But the, the air still gets underneath the shield when somebody's breathing that air close to, close to you. If you're still breathing in their air that they're they're breathing out. So if you can so if you're wearing a shield without a mask, you still you're still giving yourself a uh, exposing yourself to potential of, of breathing in the virus. So I would not I would not use a shield without a mask. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, in my in my example in my office, I I don't wear the shield, but I always wear my mask. You know, but I. But when I'm with when I'm around a COVID patient, I do both to try to prevent my risk of catching the virus as low as possible. Let me ask you this: You, you mentioned about the eyes, uh, getting things away from the eyes, uh, and we've heard people mention the eyes are one area. Uh, is that a, a, a prominent place of, of getting these germs into your body? And uh, tell tell us a little more about that because we had not heard much about eyes uh, in months past. Right, right. I, I don't think it's a very high risk of getting it that way. I mean, you see, you obviously the the virus can get into your, you know, you can, it's like a breathe the virus and it can get into your eye, the fluid of your eyes, 
you could rub your eyes then and then it could get on your mouth, get on your hands and then get into your mouth. It doesn't go straight from your eyes into your bloodstream that I know of. It still has to go from the eyes to the hands to the mouth. So it's not a high risk of getting it through the eyes, but there is some chance of that. That's why we want to protect our eyes as well as protect our face and our mouth. You know, it, the biggest risk is obviously through the respiratory tract itself, through your nose and mouth, and going right into your lungs. And that's how you, that's how most people get the virus, obviously. Let's talk a little more about the vaccination, and I don't know how much is out in the medical community. Uh, we're just hearing uh, bits and pieces uh, through the you know regular news channels. But uh, how long would it take for a vaccination. Well, first of all, how do we know that this is a vaccination that would be safe for us all to use? I think that's foremost in everyone's mind. Uh, they're wanting to see, well, let them try it first. I'm going to wait just a bit. Uh, right. what, how do we yeah. know that this is a good, safe vaccination? Well, obviously, the FDA is very involved in this and, and overseeing this this, uh, this development of this vaccine, and they are already doing clinical trials at different phases. I think they're already in phase three, which is the last phase of doing clinical trials. So they're already using thousands of patients across the country as subjects to test the virus, I mean, the vaccine on to see if it's effective against the virus. So so we know from already through thousands of patients that the virus, the vaccine is, is supposedly safe and they're seeing very good results from the vaccine so far. I think there are multiple vaccines being developed at one time. It's like Who's going to get their first type of thing? You know, there's different companies. I know Pfizer's one of the companies that's using in, in, the, in the clinical trial process right now. So there's obviously there's a, there's there's it's coming on pretty fast, but they're very aggressively trying to get this vaccine to, to the to the public as quickly as possible. But it's also safely as possible. I believe that the FDA won't allow a vaccine to come to the market without it being safe and effective. So I, I feel confident when it comes out that we're going to be ready to use it widespread without any, without any uh, long-term uh, effects against, you know, that hurt people. It seems also that our knowledge of the coronavirus is changing. The more we have this uh, contact with coronavirus uh, and COVID-19, the more we know about it. Initially, people were saying that this is one of those uh, diseases that will eventually just fade away after about a year. Uh, COVID-19 seems to be sort of a different uh, version of the coronavirus. Uh, do you feel that, that it will eventually fade away? Or is the vaccination that we're looking at one that we're going to have to be taking each year, like we do for the flu virus? Mm. I think it's true to tell that right now. I think that, unfortunately, it. It survived, it survived the summer very robustly, which is very concerning to us in the medical community. Usually viruses die out in the hot weather, and it didn't do that this year. So it's, it worries us that it's, it's, this virus is very strong, and it has uh, ability to, to live through heat cycles, which most viruses don't, don't have that ability. <clears throat> so I think it's going to be hard for us to just completely eliminate the virus. I think the vaccine is going to dramatically reduce the virus. I think there'll still be a remnant of the virus that's going to hang around from year to year that we may have to be you know, may have to continue vaccinating for. You know, it may be an annual thing for a while. You know, it may go on for several years, like about the like the flu shot, and it may be you know. And I've, I've envisioned that it might become a situation that we'll have a, a dual vaccine, flu and COVID vaccine, and one vaccine eventually, if that's the case. 
but I think that's maybe this may be the new type of flu that we have to deal with every year in America and worldwide. Okay, this was certainly uh, it was almost like a a science fiction movie. Uh, it's just like some of the flicks that we've seen on uh, the big screens in the movie theaters, uh, because we didn't have it, and then all of a sudden the entire world was suffering under this. I think it really brings to light that this is a real problem. Diseases uh, can grow quickly. Of course, 1918, uh, they knew it then, but I guess after a while we forget about those things. Right. Yeah, this, 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 really took, this really took us by surprise how, how severe and how widespread this virus became so rapidly and how you know, that's that's the biggest. That's one of the major concerns about how quickly it spread and were around the world, and, and how we how severe the manifestations of the, of the virus have been worldwide as well. With obviously our the the, the illnesses that it caused and the deaths that it caused. So it really just you know took us took us by a huge surprise in the in the medical community how how bad this virus turned out to be, how bad it is still. People are still saying, well, we're taking this too seriously. And I'd like to get a medical opinion on that. When they say, well, the uh, flu kills more people. Well, we've lost 200 and something thousand people, I believe, uh, in the United States so far. Right. That's a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's especially in the elderly population, it's been an incredibly... uh, Daily, daily virus and disease. So I think that it's uh, it, it, it attacks certain populations very, very drastically. And so I think we we have to take it very seriously now. Now with the vaccine, you know, our numbers may may be less than the flu next year. Hopefully it will be. You know, hopefully it'll really take it take it down a, a big notch when we get a vaccine. But right now, without a, without a vaccine, we're seeing just you know widespread death, especially in the elderly population. And this this virus, you know, obviously in the younger population has very few uh, fatalities, which is which is good. But in the in the population over the age of 75, it's been horribly uh, deadly to you know to many many thousands of people. And uh, so we really had to take it seriously for our older population, especially. It's really been devastating for that that group of people, especially people in nursing homes and long-term care facilities have really had a terrible time dealing with this virus. Dr. Helton, with people who have had COVID-19, uh, are they, do they get some immunity from it in the future, or is it based on their age? Do uh, younger people have some immunity and older ones are at risk still? Well, that's a good question. You know, unfortunately, I think, I don't know if you heard this week or last week, that there was a person that we believe now has been reinfected with the virus already in less than six months. So we thought that you had long-term immunity from the virus if you already had it once, but it's like that may not be the case for everyone. I think there obviously is some immunity for some length of time. We don't know what that length of time is going to be. It's going to be one year or more or less than a year, but hopefully you'll, you know, obviously you produce antibodies against the virus when you're attacked by it, but you have a higher antibody level, I believe, if you're a younger person. So hopefully the younger people will have more long-term immunity to the virus than the older population because they just seem to have a stronger immune system in general. So that's why we use the plasma because people that have already had COVID and survived COVID, you know, we can use their plasma to help fight the COVID for people that are, that are actively infected against it now. So, uh, you know, there's definitely, 
It's hard to say, though, if it's going to be a long-term effect of immunity or not. It's just, I think it's going to be more like a flu type of thing. You might be immune for a year or so, but, you know, it'll probably come back on you in the next year, unfortunately, it looks like to me. Okay, so this is something that we're going to have with us for a while. What about families? Uh, obviously, the families can't isolate. Uh, what can we do if you're a family and have two or three children? Uh, how can we be the safest as a family? Uh, I think, unfortunately, it's like you have to almost be like you're outside or be out in public. You know, you obviously wash your hands and make sure the kids are doing all they can to protect themselves. But, you know, I mean, it's kind of extreme to wear a mask in your own household. But uh, just trying to just trying to protect your family, you know, just outside when you're outside, obviously. But if I get any sign of infection, you know, if a child has a call for a, or a respiratory symptom, you know, you got to treat that like it could be COVID. And that's when you go into that vigilant mode of wearing your mask and really getting aggressive with uh, social distancing even in your own home and make sure that child is, is, is tested if, if they have symptoms of COVID that they get checked because we don't want that to spread up to the to other, other people outside the household as well. Very good. Well, Dr. Helton, we certainly thank you for sharing uh, this information with us this morning about COVID-19. I think it Absolutely. has helped quite a bit. Thank you again. I'm glad, glad to be on today. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Thomas Helton, a family medicine physician, and he practices here in Murfreesboro. His office is at 1034 North Highland Avenue. Stay with us. Did you realize this is National Neonatal Intensive Care Month? We're going to be visiting with the NICU, the NICU, at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital, right here in town. We'll be doing that in just a moment. Stay with us. He's Rutherford County's Consumer Warrior. This is the real deal. Clark Howard, weekdays 11 to 1 on WGNS AM, FM, online. At Bud's Tire Pros, they care about those who live and work here because you're a big part of what makes this place great. This is Kay Mitchell at Bud's Tire. Come by and see us at Bud's Tire, 3600 East Main Street, or call 896-TIRE. They will be here through the good times and the uncertain times. For those who are out on the road, stop in today to see their full lineup of Michelin tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin has a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, they're essential. They're open. They're local. Visit them online at BudsTireProsTN.com. This is Peter Demas, and I invite your family to come and join our family back at Demas's Restaurants. One of the things that we have always done is we have been very careful with the way that we sanitize our tables. We have mandatory hand-washing stations. Our employees are required to wear masks. We are just overall just being very careful with everything that we are doing and the way we handle food, the way we handle plates to ensure everybody's safety as they return and start enjoying the dining room experience again. Demas's Restaurants on Broad Street in Murfreesboro. If I could talk to the animals. Here at Animal City, we have an excellent variety of pond supplies and the expertise to help you get your garden pond looking beautiful. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. As we approach our 30th anniversary, our family at Animal City wants to thank you for your support. 
And for your convenience, we're happy to take call-ahead orders for curbside delivery. Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Well, good morning. Still quite a bit of traffic volume, but it's moving fairly decent as we check it out live here on 24 at 840 Elmaville Road. Just busy out here where you would expect up and down Middle Tennessee Boulevard, inbound from Last Cash's Pike that's picked up quite a bit with that traffic volume. Celebrate Autumn at Obergallenberg during Oktoberfest, September 25th through November 1st. Check out obergallenberg.com for all the details. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on time traffic. Thank you, Chuck. What about the Murfreesboro weather? Brought to you by First National Bank. Bank of Murfreesboro. We'll see mostly sunny skies here this afternoon, a high in the low 90s. Winds out of the south of 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear skies and a low near 65. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 64. COVID-19 has changed our world, and First National Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you. We understand your uncertainty, and First National Bank of Murfreesboro is always here for our customers. We encourage the use of our digital tools, ATM, mobile banking, internet, and even the drive-thru. First National Bank of Murfreesboro, 2230 Mercury Boulevard. Now a part of the Capstar Bank family, member FDIC. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, 1450. Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system, reducing microorganisms including bacteria, viruses, and allergens. Call Precision Air, 615-930-0088. That's 615-930-0088. The action line continues on this Tuesday morning. Did you realize this is NICU Awareness Month? Absolutely. And we're going to head over to the NICU right here in Murfreesboro at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. And our first guest on the program is Alicia Gifford. Alicia is the manager of the NICU at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. Uh, First of all, good morning to you, Alicia. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to have you with us this morning. Uh, Tell us, uh, we have not had a NICU here in town forever. Uh, It's been in the past few years. When did that uh, begin? Um, Actually, we've been here for 10 years here at the new hospital. Wow. Time flies. (laughs) It does. Seems like just the other day we were celebrating having one. So 10 years. Wow. Uh, tell us, what does a NICU offer? What, what are the levels of NICU and, and what are the advantages of each level? Currently, we offer a level two NICU here at St. Thomas Rutherford. Um, and one day, hopefully, maybe we can um, look forward to going to a level three. But currently with level two, we can keep 28 weeks and greater. Um, we actually do... Um, we, we actually can do like TPN here, the occasional um, ventilator, and rarely we do an occasional oscillator. Are you finding that uh, more births require NICU now as compared to years past? We seems like now that we, we do, um, our numbers have increased. I think though here at Rutherford, that may be partly due because we are seeing more deliveries here in Rutherford County. Oh, yeah. I'm hearing that uh, the top 
delivery hospitals. Uh, is it Baptist in Nashville, St. Thomas uh, Mid- Midtown, I guess it is now, and and uh, St. Thomas Rutherford? Yes, and, and River Park out in McMinnville. Oh, okay. So everybody is uh, serving a regional area now. That's correct. All right. Uh, if a parent... Uh, can can parental bonding be as effective uh, through a NICU as uh, as as it can uh, with the normal birthing? Most certainly, we really encourage our parents to come to the bedside and be with the baby. Depending on how the baby is doing, we will um, actually encourage mom and dad to do skin to skin with the newborn baby, um, and our nurses are there right beside of them to help them um, perform that and to and, and to create that special bond with their baby. Now, is the environment in a NICU different from, uh, say, a a regular uh, hospital room? It is. We have bays here at St. Thomas Weather. We have 16 bays, um, kind of a spacious little area. We have curtains that we can pull so the mom and baby can have that, and actually the father as well, have that special bonding time kind of in private, but yet their nurse is right there to help them with any questions or concerns that they have. Okay, so this is a, a, a it, it's in like an intensive care for uh, for an infant. Then that's correct. Okay, uh, and what is the determining factor? Is it premature birth, or is it disease, or what would be the predetermined uh, factors that would require a child being born in the NICU? I'm going to let Dr. Tender answer that question. I have her along with um, Wendy Underwood. So I'm going to pass the phone to her and let her answer that question for you, okay? Sounds good. This is Dr. Azra Tanver joining us now. And prior to that, we heard Uh from RN Alicia Gifford. Dr. Tanver, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to have you with us. Tell us a little about uh, what determines whether or not a child should go through the NICU program. Yes, we have a a number of criteria that determine whether a baby needs a NICU admission. Of course, prematurity being the foremost. I mean, any baby under 35 weeks will be admitted to the NICU for ongoing care. Um, Other babies who have problems at birth, for example, um, possible infection, problems with feeding, um, breathing issues, or any congenital abnormality will also be admitted to the neonatal intensive care unit. Okay, so are you noticing that more infants are being born premature now than in previous years? I don't think we're noticing an increase in number of premature babies as such. Uh, The usual rate is about 10% of deliveries, um, and I think that's probably held steady. However, in this area, we're certainly having an increase in number of admissions. Um, possibly related to the increased number of deliveries that we're, ha- we're seeing in Murfreesboro. We're certainly in a time of COVID-19. Has COVID-19 had an impact on births and the NICU program here? Well, fortunately, um, COVID-19 doesn't affect children and especially babies as much as it does the adult population, as I'm sure you're aware and uh, we've been very fortunate in that we haven't had a, a single baby that's been positive. We have had a few babies that we have monitored when the mother has been positive, but the subsequent tests on the baby have been negative. Well, that's good. So uh, this is new 
uh, a, a new area of study for everybody, even uh, infants as, uh, as well. It is. I mean, certainly there's new papers out every single day and new studies. There have been some reports of uh, infection being transmitted to babies, but fortunately uh, none in this area. Um, and other studies looking at whether it's transmitted in breast milk, etc., which it is not. So it's extremely important for the mothers to continue breastfeeding to confer the other benefits of, of breast milk. We've heard stories about uh, the NICU environment in some areas having low lights, low noise level, things of that sort, sort of a calming area. Uh, is it that same way at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital? Yes, we try to do that as, as much as possible. Um, developmental care for any newborn is very important. Um, we can reduce the noise level. We can um, decrease the amount of light that the baby's receiving as well. And certainly if they're premature, they'll be in an isolate, which also controls the uh, noise and uh, the light environment for them. We've seen studies also on uh, NICU care and uh, how if a child is born prematurely, that might lead to problems with lungs, heart, eye, and brain issues. Uh, if you have a NICU uh, at the local hospital, will that help reduce problems in those areas? And if it does, what can be done uh, all along preparing for this? Yes, certainly having a NICU in the community is a great benefit. Um, we don't have to transfer babies, um, you know, to, to further out locations. Um, transport in itself is a risk. So the fact that we have um, the staff and the resources to help these tiny vulnerable babies is very important for our community. And we... we can manage most of these um, problems in Murphy's for itself. Very good. Uh, does premature birth create a larger number of uh, children with autism? No, we, studies haven't shown that to be true. Um, and actually the prognosis for most of the premature babies has improved so much with the advances in neonatal care over the last two or three decades. Um, the problems that we used to see 30 years ago are really not there anymore, um, and our outcomes are very, very good, even if the baby is born three or four months early. So the work on premature births is uh, being studied and, and improving all through the years. Every year is improvement over the previous, it sounds like. Absolutely. I don't think we've actually been able to reduce the number of preterm deliveries as such, um, although people are doing a lot of research on that. However, the problems that are faced by the premature infant, like premature lung disease, etc., um, there have been tremendous advances in that, and we um, are doing much, much better um, in recent years as, as regards those conditions. We hear so much about technology in any field. I mean, no matter what business you're in, technology changes things quite rapidly. Uh, what kind of changes are you? I'm sure you're seeing huge changes uh, in the NICU with technology. Absolutely. Um, certainly over the years, we've got better ventilators, um, better non-invasive 
ventilator techniques, um, better monitors, um, and a lot of our work is now all computerized, so our electro electronic medical records are, are far advanced now. Um, so yes, it's it, uh, <laughs> advanced a lot technically, and we have to keep up to date with that. And I'm sure you have uh, magazines, uh, technology magazines, and uh, magazines that people who are in the neonatal uh, intensive care unit uh, have as trade publications. What kind of uh, what kind of articles are there about looking into the future? Uh, what what does the NICU of the future look like? Well, it's, it's difficult to, to imagine what, what it will be like right now in the future. Certainly over the years, you know, uh, a lot of things have advanced, like I mentioned. Um, you know, there may be even better ventilator techniques. Um, we may have, uh, you know, sort of a different environment where the mother and baby can be there with, with the infant, um, as some of the European models are doing. Um, so I'm sure a lot, lot more could happen, um, but uh, I think a, a lot has happened in the past. So I'm happy with how things are, but I'm sure, you know, going forward, there'll be a lot more um, newer inventions coming along. Very good. And of course, uh, anytime new developments come along, that helps us to uh, increase the likelihood that these youngsters who are born prematurely will have a good, long, and natural life without any issues and problems. Uh, I'm sure that even if we compared today to 20 or 30 years ago, there would be a dramatic difference in uh, the future for each of these infants. Yes, absolutely. The um, infants 30 years ago would have had much longer times on ventilators. They didn't have the benefit of the surfactant treatment that we use now. Um, some of them would have go, gone home on oxygen or even had a tracheostomy. Um, and this is so rare nowadays. Most of our babies are on very short-term um, ventilator management, and then they're on non-invasive um, uh, respiratory therapy, which is just a very comfortable little prong that sits in their nose. So all of these things have advanced um, greatly over the last uh, few decades. Share with us, uh, obviously without giving names or anything, share with us some of the, the wonderful stories that you have witnessed over the years there at the NICU at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. Well, recently we had um, a set of triplets that delivered. Um, they were born about two months early, and uh, they all went on to do extremely well. And uh, we've seen pictures of them subsequently, and they look great. Um, we've had babies who unfortunately have had um, severe problems at the time of delivery um, with breathing issues and oxygen deprivation and these babies have gone to receive cooling and their outcome has been excellent. Um, we never had this therapy a couple of decades ago but now that's, that's routine. So we've seen a number of babies that we thought w wouldn't do well um, but in fact, they have gone on to do well. So that's a really great advance to, to see babies like that improve. Um, we've had babies who've been very tiny. Um, if you can imagine a baby that's just one pound, 
you know, and they've gone on to survive and uh, subsequently, you know, go to school, etc. So all of these things have happened over the last few years, and uh, we look forward to many more successes, and uh, we, we like to see our babies um, at our reunion. Unfortunately, we couldn't do it this year because of COVID, but it's, it's always very nice to see how these babies have got along as they grow up. And the parents are very happy to share their pictures and their um, successes with us. Oh, that is a wonderful uh, reunion to have. I, I would imagine you see a lot of very happy children there. Uh, let me ask you this. With, uh, with the developments in the NICU program, especially here at St. Thomas Rutherford, uh, are you able to, uh, I guess, uh, analyze the child's future health and have the ability to uh, prepare uh, for future issues where they possibly won't be as major as potentially uh, they would have been if not diagnosed early? Well, we um, have what we call the newborn metabolic screen on all babies now, um, and that's done nationally. So there's a number of conditions that are looked at at the time of birth which in previous years may not have been picked up until the baby was either a few days or a few weeks or even a few months old. So the fact that we can do this on babies is of great benefit. Um, and as soon as it's detected, we can um, give the proper treatment and management for those cases. Um, we also do routine hearing screen on all babies, so any hearing deficit is, is picked up immediately, and that can also be addressed as well. Very good. Is there anything uh, a, a mother should be thinking about right now if if she's pregnant and uh, to assure that uh, the risk would be less on her having a premature child? Is there anything that uh, can be done in advance? Well, certainly a lot of things can be done. I mean, it's very important to have um, good prenatal care, um, to see their OBs on a regular basis who can pick up any changes that are happening um, of course not to uh, take any illicit drugs smoking alcohol all of those would be harmful toxins to the fetus um, and also in this current environment to keep um, to adhere to all the regulations about hand washing um, keeping your distance wearing a mask in public that's that's of the utmost and especially with flu season coming along it's also important to to do that to prevent the babies from becoming sick and i would encourage all pregnant women to be immunized for the the flu vaccine um, since the immunity from them will pass on to the baby oh. uh, children aren't allowed to have the vaccination for flu until they're over six months of age so it's important for the mothers to be immunized. So if you are pregnant now and uh, plan to deliver any time in the you know, near future, uh, you need to get your flu vaccination now. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, we still have uh, Wendy Underwood, I believe, to talk with this morning. Is she around? Yes, she is. Shall I pass it on to her? If you would. And it was good to talk with you, Dr. Tanver. Thank you. Dr. Azra Tanvir with us from Ascension St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital in the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit.
We're now talking with Wendy Underwood, who's a registered nurse at the NICU here in town. Wendy, good morning to you. Good morning. Good to have you with us. If if you were uh, able to share what you've seen over the years at St. Thomas Rutherford's NICU uh, with with parents and things, uh, what would you? What kind of suggestions would you have for them as they prepare to be a parent? Uh, prepare to be a parent. Um, hmm. Uh, do a lot of research, um, read up on what you can, get prepared. Um, of course, not everything goes the way you plan, though. Um, then we're, we're here if it doesn't. Uh, That's the yeah. great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, having a NICU available if you need it. You don't want to use it, but if you need it, it is there. And it's exciting to hear that you've been there for a decade now, a decade of building new information and knowledge and familiarity of service. So that, that's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. It's just really great having that here. Uh, and with, uh, with technology the way it is, science the way it is, uh, the two go hand in hand, science and the equipment to make it work. And how do you look at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital? Are we right up there on the cutting edge with any others around? Yes, absolutely. Uh, We have a lot of resources, um, wonderful management, doctors, staff. We are constantly getting educated, um, you know, looking into all the new equipment. Uh, One of the things that we've recently got over the last couple years is we're really into family-centered NICU. Um, We want the family to be involved as much as they can. Um, Well, right now, that's kind of hard with with COVID, so we've had to to trim the visitation a little bit. So right now, it's just uh, mom and the significant other um, able to come in to visit. Uh, And we realize that other families still want to see the baby and siblings. So we have what is called a NICU, uh, NICVIEW camera. So we have the cameras, once the the mom and significant other give consent, they can have these cameras on the baby 24-7 and be able to watch the babies anytime they want to uh, from anywhere around the world. So if you've got family out of state or siblings that, because of COVID right now, can't come in to see their brother or sister, they can watch it on the camera. So that's a really neat new equipment that we have that we all really like. Oh, that is great, and it just sort of brings the family together. We have about a minute left in our broadcast. What else would you like to share about National NICU Awareness Month? What should people be more aware of? Um, Really that that we're out there and that we're here. A lot of people um, don't even realize what a NICU is until they need it. So um, it being NICU Awareness Month kind of puts it out there and maybe opens some eyes of people who don't realize what it is, what we do, and that we're here for them when they need us. Very good. So be aware of that and be aware that for 10 years we have had a NICU here in Murfreesboro at Ascension St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. We're so proud of that. And, uh, Wendy, we do thank you for joining us this morning as well. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. You have a great day. That was Wendy Underwood, a registered nurse, and uh, one of our guests this morning as we celebrate National NICU Awareness Month.
So proud to have that facility here in Murfreesboro at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. That's going to do it for our broadcast this morning. We thank you for joining us. Have a super rest of the day. If there are parts of this broadcast that you'd like to listen to again, it will be available in just a few minutes on podcast formats on not only our website, but every major podcast location. Truman's next, right here on WGNS Murfreesboro.